continue study of the book of Revelation. Uh, we're going to continue our journey through this book. We're just kind of beginning to deal with some of the events related to the tribulation. And as we understand it, the per this period of terror and judgment will not begin until we as believers have been removed from this world in the rapture. The tribulation period itself is a seven-year period of time, which is divided into two uh, segments, three-and-a-half-year segments. The first half of the tribulation, and then uh, is known as the tribulation. The second half is really known as the great tribulation. Now, in our last two studies, we've looked at the first of the four sealed judgments that will come upon the world. Uh, we saw the rise of the Antichrist and the coming wars and famines and pestilence. They're going to claim the lives of a fourth of the earth's population. Uh, the first four seals deal with the three-and-a-half-year portion of the tribulation. Then two seals we will consider today will deal with the three-and-a-half-year portion of the tribulation period. And these seven seals together, uh, they're all, they're, there are seven seals. We, we won't look at the seventh until chapter 8. Now, just as you, so you know, the book of Revelation is not written in chronological order. Uh, the events do not necessarily take place in order in which they are written. The events of this book kind of overlap in time. And so as we continue to move through the book, we're going to see uh, some events that uh, uh, will overlap. Uh, in our verses today, we'll see an unusual dynamic of both of saints and sinners engaged in the business of prayer. And we want to study these two sealed judgments today. And as we do, I uh, would like to talk about a couple of events that will take place uh, really during the latter portion of the tribulation period. Uh, in a sense, some of the what we're talking about is also uh, uh, kind of overlapping from uh, even now uh, in the... the church age, and we'll see, I'll explain that here in a little bit, but uh, you might think the tribulation will be a time devoid of prayer and any religious activity, but uh, we're going to see that really the opposite is true. There will be prayer in heaven and there will be prayer upon the earth. Uh, history's greatest prayer meeting will take place during the latter part of the great tribulation as sinner and saint alike will lift their voices in prayer. So we're going to examine this idea of prayer during the tribulation. First of all, the tribulation saints in peace. Really, they're going to divide this into two sections here. The tribulation saints in peace in verses 9 through 11. And uh, uh, as these verses kind of open up before us, we're taken back into heaven and we're sh shown a scene of souls and they're under the altar. Uh, I think there's a few things that are worthy of our attention here as we, we think about this. When Moses was instructed to build the tabernacle, he was to build it after the pattern of things in heaven. We see this in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. In other words, Moses built an altar where animals would be slain. And the altar was merely a shadow of the altar in heaven. Everything Moses built for Hebrew worship was only a shadow of what actually exists in heaven. And when these verses tell us that their souls under heaven's altar, uh, that's exactly uh, what uh, they mean what they say. These souls 
are people who've given their lives for the cause of Christ. Uh, when a lamb was slain on the altar, the blood and the ash would be a testimony to its sacrifice. Now, like a sacrificial lamb, the souls will bear testimony to their own sacrifice. These souls, under the altar, totally devastate two major doctrines being taught in our day. Uh, one of these doctrines is the notion of soul sleep. Uh, these souls are not lying in the grave in a body waiting for the resurrection. They are in heaven. They're aware. They're talking. They're very much alive in the presence of the Lord. And praise God, when our loved ones die, when we die, we don't go to the grave. Our body goes to the grave, but we're, we rise to be with our Savior. So we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, souls do not go to the grave. They either go to heaven to be with the Lord, or they go to hell, depending upon what they've done with Jesus. Now, another doctrine that's knocked down, I think, by these verses is the doctrine of purgatory. There's absolutely no scripture for the notion that men go to a place of fire where they atone for their sins. Uh, when, and then when they've suffered enough, they can get free and go to heaven. There's no, no teaching like that in the Bible. That's a Roman Catholic superstitious nonsense. There's no biblical foundation for that doctrine. In fact, the Bible is very clear. There, there are not four places to go when you die. If we listen to man, we might believe that we could go to heaven or to hell or to purgatory or to the grave. The Bible makes it very clear that when death comes, there are only two possible destinations. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. There's no other choice. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus preached a lot about hell, and that's why I preach about hell. There are two choices, heaven or hell. Now, with that in mind, notice what these verses say here. First of all, notice the sa sacrifice, their sacrifice. In verse 9 of chapter 6, it says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Here is a multitude of people who have been slain for the word of God and for the testimony they held. The word slain there means to butcher or to slaughter. Some would say these people who turned to faith in Jesus after the rapture. That certainly could be true. But I think it could also include believers who've given their lives for Jesus here on earth. They held fast to their testimony and their, to the testimony of the Scripture. Even the threat of death could not cause them to turn away. And we often think of them as martyrs. Now, there will be people saved during the tribulation. The Bible tells us that an army of Jewish evangelists are going to go cover the globe preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And these evangelists will see a multitude that no man can number come to faith in Jesus. We'll begin looking at these events in our next study. But most of the people who come to faith in Jesus during this time will be called upon to lay down their lives for the Lord. And these tribulation saints will refuse to follow the Antichrist. They will reject him and his system. They will be hunted down like dogs, and they will be executed for their testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, church history is a history of persecution and martyrdom. Ever since Stephen was stoned to death in Acts chapter 7, and millions have been put to death for their faith in Christ. Uh, from the Colosseums of ancient Rome to the death camps of Nazi Germany, Christians have always been called upon to pay for their testimony with their blood. And whether it was a gulag in Soviet Russia or a prison in modern China, there is a high cost associated with faith in Jesus Christ. And from the Spanish Inquisition to the conflict in some modern African nations, followers of Jesus have paid a high price for their faith in him. Now there's no way to really total or tally the total of those who have been killed for nothing more than professing faith in Jesus uh, over the last 2,000 or so years, believers have been crucified, they've been burned at the stake, they've been sawn in half, they've been drowned, they've been stoned, they've been sawn, uh, uh, in, uh, sewn into uh, skins of dead animals while wild beasts are released in them. They've been shot, they've been stabbed, they've been sealed in their churches and burned alive. They've been raped and humiliated and tortured. In fact, uh, we know of Emperor Nero who tied Christians to the poles and, and dipped them, had dipped them in wax and set them on fire to light his dinner parties. Thousands were murdered to satisfy the bloodlust of the Romans. And in this day, over 150,000 Christians die every year just because they believe in Jesus. You know, in some countries, young Christian girls are taken as sex slaves by Muslim men and raped and beaten until they are used up, then they are killed. And things are only going to get worse. Already, even in America, we're seeing the tide of public opinion turn against believers. Christians are being singled out and attacked for their faith. And none would dare say a word about a Muslim or a Jew, but Christians are fair game. And we're seeing a shadow of a world that is coming. When the great tribulation comes upon the earth, many believers will be put to death for their faith. And it would not surprise me if we didn't see the persecution that we face increase in the days as they go by. So these are sacrificed saints under the altar. They're in a place where the blood ran down. They're in a place of safety, of salvation, of security. They paid a terrible price for their faith, but now they are home and they are safe. And we uh, would... We'll say more about these people and the price they paid for their faith when we get into chapter 7. But notice, secondly, their supplication, verse 10. In verse 10, it says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? These martyred saints are involved in prayer. It says they cried with a loud voice. And they filled heaven with their petitions. And the prayer they offered is not a prayer for mercy for their enemies like that which Jesus prayed at Calvary in Luke 23, 34. It's not a prayer like that which Stephen prayed when he was dying. In Acts 7 and verse 60, it says, And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And it's a, yet it's a prayer for judgment. It's a kind of prayer that's called an imprecatory prayer. It's a kind of praying that calls on God to move in judgment. 
It's the kind of praying you read about in the Old Testament Psalm 94, verse 1, where it says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? Now in the New Testament age, this age of grace, we're taught to pray for those who wrong us. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, he, uh, the Lord sent an example for us as he was dying on the cross, as I indicated from Luke 23. And we're living in a day of mercy and grace. When believers in the Holy Spirit are moved, are removed during the rapture, the tribulation period begins on this earth, and it's not going to be a time of grace and mercy. It's going to be a time of justice and judgment. These saints pray this way out of a desire to see the name of God vindicated and honored. They call on God to judge the world and those in it, thus glorifying his name. Listen, the day of grace is going to come to an end someday. And when it does, it's going to be too late to be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Now is the time to call on Jesus while there is hope, while there is grace to save your soul. You might say, well, I can get saved during the tribulation. You said, Pastor, there's going to be some saved during the tribulation. No, I don't believe you're going to be given a second chance. I believe those who rejected the gospel on this side of the rapture, rapture will not be saved during the tribulation. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion and they shall believe a lie that they, might all, they all might be damned and who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's going to be a day when the age of grace and mercy is come to an end. Notice then, thirdly, their satisfaction. Verse 11, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto, unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. These saints are given white robes. Uh, this signifies their purity, their saved condition. They're going to be clothed in white because they have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, they're going to be told to rest yet a little season they're going to be told that more blood must be yet shed and they are to be patient until the Lord finishes his work here on earth. These people surely do not understand how the Lord can allow martyrdom of, of saints to progress upon the earth. They're comforted here by the Lord's words. As he tells them, you just be patient for a little while. This thing is winding down. It's better. It'll be better after a while. You know, there are things we do, do not understand going on in this world today. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do God's children seem to suffer? Why are there such injustices in the world? Why does God allow these things? Well, we must learn to take our comfort from the fact that our God is working out his eternal plan. 
It will be better down the road. He will balance all the accounts one of these days. And our duty now is to remain faithful, even when we don't understand what he's doing, because he knows best. So this is the tribulation saints in, the, in peace. Secondly, there's a tribulation sinners in a panic. They see this in verses 12 through 17. And while prayer for judgment is being lifted up in heaven, prayer for protection is being lifted up on the earth. While those in heaven are at peace, those on the earth will be in a panic. Let's see why they're in a panic and what they do about it. Notice verses in verses 12 uh, through 14, a universe in turmoil. Verse 12 says, And I beheld when they had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there were great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heavens and the heaven departed as a scroll when it rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. These verses describe a universe that's caught in the grip of a terrible cataclysm. Earthquakes will rip through the earth with devastating power. Great clouds of dust and ash will be thrown into the atmosphere, dimming the powerful light of the sun. The phrase there, sackcloth of hair, refers to black garments worn by the mourners. The moon will take on the appearance of blood as it shines through a ravaged atmosphere. The great earthquake is the first of three earthquakes mentioned in the book of Revelation. They will be terrible. Now, we've had some big earthquakes here. Our world is not a stranger to earthquakes. Uh, when we lived in Indiana, we even had a little earthquake. And uh, the, only, the one that noticed it the most was our dog. Woo! Felt that little tremor, <laughs> you know. But I suppose in some places of our country and places in the world, there are some terrible earthquakes. Houses and buildings come falling down. Uh, yes, we have some minor earthquakes today, but scientists have, have told us that 13 million people have died in earthquakes over the last 4,000 years. And we've seen with our own eyes what an earthquake can do uh, uh, under uh, the uh, Pacific Ocean back in 2004, if you remember back uh, then in this great tsunami that uh, resulted from that. And so we're, we're, we're told of a great earthquake, greater than what we've ever experienced here on this earth. Uh, we're told that stars in heaven will fall to the earth like fruit of a fig tree that's shaken by a violent Wind. The verse tells us that there will be a tremendous meteor shower that will fall upon the earth in those days. Meteor showers can cause tremendous death and devastation. And there have been occasions when we've had meteors come to this earth and, and cause great damage. Well, there's no stability in the heavens above to appear to roll up like a book, and as the mountains and the islands are moved out of their places by the devastating uh, geological occurrences that will be unleashed on the earth in those days. So you have a universe in turmoil. Secondly, you have unconverted in terror. 
We go on in verse 15, it says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, every freeman, hid themselves in the dens in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? We're told that men of all ranks will be overcome with fear, Kings are rulers, great men are governmental leaders, rich men are those who control the wealth, chief captains are the military leaders, mighty men are the celebrities and those who, uh, uh, with influence and power, bondmen and free men alike are affected. And when God's wrath is finally poured out upon the world, men will be reduced to the same level. Everybody's going to be uh, in fear. In verses 12 through 14, we notice, first of all, what they see. As the universe convulses in the geological and astronomical uh, uh, upheaval, men will see everything they've ever considered stable and permanent taken away from them. The earth is always there, and it's always stable, but not this and this time. It's going to be shaken. The sun and the moon and the stars, they're always there, but here they'll be taken away. For many years, men have worshipped this natural world for thousands of years and staked their hope and future on the stability of the universe. And suddenly, they'll find themselves in a world where nothing is stable. And then we're going to, not only what they see is what they say. Verse 15 and 16, which we read there, in their terror, they're going to cry out for the mountains to fall on them and hide them from the terrible gaze of God on his throne and the wrath of the Lamb of God. Here's a world that has rejected God at every turn. They've denied him and his son while they have embraced Satan and his false Christ. And now they must face the judgment and they will be filled with fear. And then what they seek what are they going to seek? They're going to run for the caves and the dens of the earth. They're going to find refuge from the presence of God. Listen, the evolutionists have sold this world a bill of goods. Cavemen are not in the past. They're in our future. Do your children have a grave? Uh, you do your children a great disservice when you trust in a godless school system and never check up on what they're learning. And that's a big issue these days. Here we find they're going to want to hide themselves from the face of God and from Jesus. And they use uh, kind of a strange statement. They say they want to hide themselves from the wrath of the Lamb. That's a kind of a strange picture, isn't it? There's probably no animal more tender and more gentle than a little lamb. Yet these big, powerful men want to be delivered from the wrath of the Lamb. Two words translated wrath in the New Testament. One is the word uh, thumos re refers to a sudden outrage of uh, outburst of anger. It's like kind of a shotgun blast that's over in a moment. The other word is a word that speaks of anger that slowly rises like water against a dam until the dam breaks and the flood comes. And this is the idea of someone standing red-faced with their uh, with their fist clenched as they try to hold back their anger. Well, God has held his anger for more than 6,000 years, and the water of his wrath has risen against the dam of mercy, and that dam is at a bursting point. Men are going to face the flood of God's fury because of their sins and the rejection of Christ. 
Not only what they see, what they say, what they seek, but what they sense. Verse 17, men sense that their time is up. They're about to face an undiluted wrath of Almighty God, and they're absolutely right. Man's time and judgment is coming. They pray, but their prayers go unanswered. Nothing can deliver them from the judgment uh, which has come. Now notice, when these people begin to pray, they don't pray to God. They call on this natural world. See, that's where their faith has been, and the world uh, will still fail them in that day. There's no cry for grace and mercy from God. There's no confession of sin. There's only a desire to be free from the wrath. Even in the midst, in the midst of judgment, lost sinners are still selfish and unchanged. And so we find the martyr saints in heavens are praying to God to judge sin. The lost sinners on earth are praying to be delivered from the unflinching gaze of God. The saints' prayer will be answered. The sinner's prayer will not be answered. It's either grace or wrath. Psalm 130 verse 3 says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? I wouldn't want to face God in my own righteousness. The best man can produce is filth in the sight of God. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all fade as the leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And I'm thankful this afternoon that I can stand before him one day clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 9 says, And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is, of, is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. How about you this afternoon? When I see the Lamb, I will see my Savior. When these people will see the Lamb, they're going to face their judge. I wonder how will you meet the Lamb of God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, these are sobering thoughts this afternoon. Yet uh, this is your word, and it's the truth that uh, we need to be aware of here, uh, what's going to take place during that great tribulation. And I trust, Lord, that each person here this afternoon can say that they know the Lord Jesus Christ, and they can be found in him, not having their own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. If there's someone here who's never, never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, may today be the day before the rapture takes place and it's ever too late. Bless, Lord, this message to our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's our closing song. Let's sing number 573. 573.